and welcome to the Good Fundraising Podcast, where we bring together nonprofit thought leaders and change makers to talk about what's good in the world of fundraising and what could be better. I'm your host, Alicia Mullenstein. Thanks for joining me today. Today, I am joined by Erica O'Brien and Courtney Lewis of Mindset Direct. And we are talking about transformational budgeting. Now, budget season is many things to many people, but is almost always a source of some stress. And perhaps this year more than ever, it's also laced with an extra dose of uncertainty. So whether your budget season is months away or whether you're in the middle of it and it feels like it never ends, I hope you will find something in our conversation today about ways to make your budgeting process work for you and for your program long-term instead of just another stressful thing on the to-do list. So on to my conversation with Erica and Courtney. Courtney, thank you so much for joining the Good Fundraising Podcast today to talk about transformational budgeting and how we can make the budgeting process a better, stronger one for our organizations. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to join you today. We're excited to be here. Yes, we are. Excellent. So why don't you give us a brief overview? Erica, let's start with you. Tell us about some of your background in nonprofit fundraising. Sure, sure. So I actually started out my career working as a social worker within nonprofits um, and did that for, I would say, seven years or so, sort of tripped my way into direct marketing fundraising, as most people do. Started out after being really burnt out in direct care, working actually in production and worked through that and into agency life. Um, and so I've been working within agencies, I would say, since probably 1999, 2000, have worked on a variety of clients in terms of size and scope. I've had the privilege to serve so many wonderful causes and joined Mindset back in 2011 and currently the co-owner of Mindset Direct based here in the D.C. area. Fantastic. So you've been on both sides of the fence, both working directly on the program side and now fundraising and then agencies. Yep, exactly. Great. Um, so interesting perspective, I think, for sure. And I actually had the pleasure of working with Courtney currently, but also in a past life as well. Oh, fascinating. Okay, Courtney, tell us about that. Yes. So I have been in, I'm going to call myself an agency lifer. <laughs> um, I started as an intern at a direct marketing agency when I was a senior in college. They offered me a full-time job and that's all I needed out of school. I really had no idea what I was signing up for, but um, quickly learned to love it. So throughout my career, I've worked with organizations who have donor files as small as 3,000 up to, you know, three to four million active donors. So definitely have a wide variety of experience in terms of the organizations I've been lucky enough to work with um, and the, the various causes. And so I did, Erica was one of my first bosses and um, I've now joined her at Mindset as Senior Vice President of Fundraising Strategies. Well, that's great. And I'm sure you know from your experience working from the small to large that budget is something we all have to contend with, no matter how big or small we are. And Absolutely. everyone has their own headaches. Yeah. I'll say just coming out of our budget process, we're probably, by the time this airs, fingers crossed, it'll be approved. But as we're speaking now, we're, we're still sort of going through, waiting for the, the CEO approval on it. So it, it's high uh, on my mind every single day thinking about budget. Um, and, you know, it's so interesting working on budgets across different organizations, which I'm sure you see with your clients too, just the different approaches that organizations take, the things that are priorities, uh, 
what works well and what doesn't. There's such a wide range. So, you know, we'd love to hear, Erica, maybe you can start talking about what are some of the biggest budgeting challenges you've seen the nonprofits that you work with contend with? Yeah. You know, I think that budgeting is one of those exercises that no one really gets super excited about, except maybe Courtney. Um, you know, I think that there are some areas that I think that if we can come up with really good, solid planning and approaches around, it makes it a little less anxiety provoking, perhaps. So I think some of those challenges that we need to overcome, the first one might be staying on the status quo and really not thinking outside the box. You know, that notion of, well, here's what we did last year. So that's, we're just going to sort of save over last year's budget, copy and paste it and be good to go really not thinking through all of the learnings and opportunities that you have gathered within the past 12 months since your current budget was created. You know, this can be really challenging if your organization is one like so many where the timeline for creating a budget is very protracted. So for instance, if you have a calendar year fiscal year and you're starting in January, you might be creating a budget for that year, 18 months prior in the summer of a year and a half before. And so that can be really challenging. And so really, how do you work around that? And how do you create a budget that allows for nimbleness throughout the year, right? So I think that's one significant challenge and really poses a barrier for some. I think another area is this notion of that's my money kind of thing. Um, We see this in organizations, I think, of all size, small and large, Mm -hmm. um, where there are different programs, whether that be channel specific, digital versus direct mail, whether that be mid-level versus low dollar, you know, you name it. And this notion of protecting core bottom lines of programs, at times, I think that can really inhibit growth and can really inhibit innovation. So I don't know, Courtney, if you have anything to add there, if I've missed anything, or perhaps you disagree with any of that. Would love your thoughts there. No, I definitely agree. I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges certainly is timeline. And I think when a budget is approached as kind of something to check off the list, as opposed to your opportunity to make your annual plan meet your long-term plan, I think that's when we kind of fall into these traps. And then we end up having to back into strategies based on the budget um, versus letting the budget dictate the strategy that's really where we run into those challenges for sure. Yeah, I always say with with budgets, as with many things, I really wish we could just put pause on all the other things we have to do so that Mm -hmm. we could devote as much time and energy into doing it right. I feel like it is because of just workload that we all contend with in fundraising and getting the current year campaigns out the door that sometimes it does become just a to-do, check off the list. Absolutely. You know, and, and Erica, I want to make sure we call out the that's my money phenomenon, because I do think that that's a huge problem. And I don't know what you all think or what you've seen with clients, but I feel like it's kind of exacerbated by the fact that so often people are only coming together during the budget process Mm -hmm. to look at expenses and strategy, but it's not something that's built into monthly, quarterly type of work together. And so you're kind of hashing all these things out once a year when it comes to a big pile of money, as opposed to building off of it and, and iterating and pivoting even within your budget and your planned expenses over the course of the year. Do you, yeah. do you think that that's a factor in some of this? I do. And I think that that actually might even trace back to perhaps lack of shared 
goals, right? And like having um, conversations that go beyond budget and start at a much higher level of, you know, what, what are our goals and, and how do we get there, right? Paint done. What does success look like? Because if we're all sort of operating under done is I raise my budget money, I worry that that's a misaligned benchmark, if you will. Everyone needs to, to feel good about, you know, the outcome, right? And so budget is one part of that. But if overall, for instance, your goals are to increase donor value or increase retention or perhaps increase your monthly giving or what have you, and that feeds up into larger enterprise goals around operating budgets, around brand, around overall profile, um, the money is a means to an end, but it's not the end. And I worry that sometimes by nature of not having some of these conversations and getting on the same page, it's like you're off from go, right? Because the value is completely based on the percentage of money each program or each individual is bringing to the table versus perhaps a larger vision of contribution towards the shared vision, the shared goal of the organization. Does that make sense? It does. I, I think that's a really great point of it's not the money in itself is not the goal, right? The right. expense pot of money. And it's it's also not always reflective on your program's status within the mix. It's a means to an end for the certain goals that are ahead for that year. Yeah. And it should be something that's flexible. Some year you get more, some year you get less because you're leaning into different parts of the program across a development department. Yeah. Would, oh, go ahead, Courtney. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I would say the same is true of investment dollars. You know, once the budget is, is done and we're executing campaigns, we might see, you know, it's great when we come in under cost for certain campaigns, but are we missing an opportunity by not hearing where we are and would that cost savings from one place benefit another channel or another learning or an opportunity to maximize on, you know, a win that we've had recently. So I think that's exactly to that point where if we're not coming together more proactively throughout the year that we can really look at the investment dollars holistically um, and how they are evolving throughout the year and likewise how they should continue to evolve um, through the end of the year. Yep. Yeah. We've sort of already begun talking about this, but are there other you know, budgeting misconceptions that you see come up time and again as people approach their budgets? I think this notion, as we've been talking about, of the siloed approach can be misconception, but also mistake, because let's think about organizations that are trying to move towards a greater number of monthly donors, right? So they're trying to create this culture of monthly donors. That's likely going to mean some sacrifices of one-time donor revenue or um, some increased costs. Um, I think misconceptions often lie in a failure of defining what success looks like. That clarity from the beginning of what is done look like, what does success look like? And I noticed that time and time again, where we fall into traps is when we're not clear on that from the beginning. I think that makes perfect sense. If there's no clear goal and you're doing it because this is the way you've always done it, or you're cutting and pasting from a prior year, then it's incredibly hard to measure success or know if you could have had other opportunities or what you're leaving on the table. Um, and I also think as far as like getting everyone on board, having those goals be clearly articulated for everyone just increases buy-in and you know, hopefully collaboration of understanding at least why the buckets of investments fell the way they did. So what does a really great budgeting process look like? You know, Alicia, I just 
thought of another misconception, if you will. So do you mind if I go backwards for a second? Please do. There's a couple more that just sprang to my mind. So, you know, the coffee's kicking in. (laughs) Um, As we increasingly move to a more channel diverse world, I think, you know, we're all used to budgeting, if you will, for direct mail. We've all been doing that for years and years and and telemarketing too. But some of these, I'm going to say newer, even though they're not new channels, whether that be canvassing, whether or not that be digital, a big misconception we see is that you can't budget for those channels. If we do see budgeting, it's usually one bucket of money versus methodical budgeting as we see in other channels. And the misconception is that we have to budget differently, but that doesn't mean we can't budget. Does that make sense? Oh, it absolutely makes sense. 100%. I think you have to have investments tied to those different channels. Otherwise, imagine it's like a mad scramble yeah. all year long. Right. And if the budget is truly reflective of the annual plan, you know, that is the time to really lay that out and map that out at the campaign level across all channels so that, you know, we have that cohesive integrated strategy roadmap from the start. Yep. And that actually folds up into a couple different things. I think when we're thinking about budget, we often think about annual budget. We're not thinking about five-year plan budget or multi-year plan budget. And I think that's a pitfall, a challenge. Um, you know, saying yes to something might mean saying no to something else, as we always talk about. And every decision has a, a future effect, right? If we think about budgeting as an ecosystem and all of the programs are a part of that, or all the investments are a part of that, when we turn one dial, there are ramifications to the program, obviously in the current year, but for years to come. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes we see, let's say, revenue going down in a program. Well, you know, there's likely really specific file dynamics that are impacting that um, and value dynamics that when we think about how to increase those, which is the outcome of a current fiscal year budget, We need to think about what are those impacts for years to come? What dials do we need to turn to have the best long-term impact there? One huge piece is that sort of weighing out of initial impact versus long-term impact. And the other piece of that is being nimble throughout the year. A huge, I think, misconception about budgets is that in order to stay on track and meet your board-approved budget, you have to stay the course that you set in the beginning of the year. And that's a big missed opportunity and at times can be really hazardous to your program because again, going back to the protracted timeline, if you're making decisions 18 months before you're actually implementing a campaign, you know a lot more now than you did then. And so if we use the basis, the bottom line, you know, cost and revenue as our guiding principles, but how we get there has flexibility We find that that is the best case for organizations and allows you to really put into place the learnings that you gather throughout the year. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's important, particularly for people to start thinking about the multi-year impact, that domino effect that you alluded Mm -hmm. to, how one year's budget has ramifications down the road. So yes, you're doing the budget for this fiscal year, but that budget has big implications of where you're going to be and five years down the road. And mm-hmm. I think we all see this, you know, particularly in direct response anyway, with conversations about acquisition and very tempting for, you know, a new financial officer or, you know, head of finance to come in and look at that loss, quote unquote, and look as that as an area to make cuts. So I think there's an education component that we need to also be really articulate about with our stakeholders who are 
less familiar with, you know, certainly the complexity of direct response budgets, but just to understand how those decisions set them up for the organizations that they're going to still be dealing with a few years down the road. Yeah. And I think, Alicia, the other piece of that is that let's say you're the new person working um, within an organization and you've inherited a program that might have had some tough years. Many organizations, especially prior to COVID, were struggling, right? Turning that ship is not going to be a fast or easy fix. Um, You're probably going to have some continued initial downturn before you sort of bounce back up. And by looking long-term In addition to short-term, you really can understand, again, it can feel like a good opportunity to cut back on investments now, but you're going to likely find yourself in a similar position in two years, if not a greater challenge, if you do that. So having that long-term forecast while you're doing your initial budget can add a layer of complexity and, frankly, time. So backing up that, that schedule will be important, but it's really helpful to show internal stakeholders, especially those in the C-suite, when trying to advance initiatives and or protect critical pipeline strategies. That makes total sense. And are there other areas of just general guidelines that people should take into account what they need to plan that kind of thoughtful budget? Well, Courtney could probably launch into a whole... Um, I think I can. Um, I think file dynamics is a big part of it. Understanding even if your audience size has looked similar year over year, if your file dynamic has changed significantly, let's say, and you actually have a flood of new donors who are giving at lower dollar levels, but we're using past results to dictate performance, well, your overall performance is going to look very different right now if your file composition is different. So really understanding who's on the file, what does that mean for next year and the year after that? And how do we fill the, the buckets that need to be filled to take us where we need to go? Um, and I think that that is definitely key. Eric and I were talking yesterday about what a great budgeting process looks like. And my first response was, it should be tedious. <laughs> it should take a lot of time. It should be detailed. It needs to be you know, very, um, bounded in data and also just the continuation of long-term planning. When we sit down to do an annual budget, the ideal situation is that we actually have a guide from a long-term plan to say, okay, you know, here's where we are today. Here's where we thought we were going to be. Here's what we need to do to get where we want to be tomorrow and the day after that. No, I like that. That, that sounds like it being tedious. (laughs) (laughs) It was literally the first word that came to mind. I was like, well, tedious is what that is. (laughs) Well, I think it just speaks to not in a frantic, mad rush to get it checked out, right? Like a thoughtful, deliberate planning process to to review all the things that we sort of talked about. Um, You know, you all are in an interesting position as an agency to see a wide variety of clients. And, you know, Eric, I think you said pre-COVID, um, a lot of people were struggling and it's a different landscape now. So just curious how you, you know, think about with your clients impacts of sector and how that changes how you might approach your budgeting. Definitely. So sector plays a big part in terms of, from our perspective, when we're looking at organizations across various sectors, we're going to look at industry trends to show us what are realistic goals? If we've been seeing in one sector that, as we saw 
for years, especially in health sector specifically, you know, the number of donors going down. Um, and we're looking at a budget that's saying your acquisition response rates are going to be the highest they've ever been. Well, that's probably not realistic. So how do we shift the program goals based on what we're seeing in the sector, based on what we know donor appetites look like? And if we need to buck the trends, how are we going to do that? But also letting those trends inform our goals is definitely a critical piece of the equation in terms of mapping out the future. Yeah. And if I could just embroider on top of that quickly, we talk a lot about timeline. So timeline from the perspective of how long it takes to do the budget. But also there's a timeline, a program timeline, right, that looks at your specific organization and moments in history or moments in your program aligned with revenue trends. You know, you can start to get a roadmap, if you will, or a historical look back to see, okay, here's the, here were the ebbs and flows in my program revenue and here were things that were happening there. Mm -hmm. And then you can start overlaying that to industry trends and understand, okay, so, and then the industry was doing this and my sector was doing this and then really get a good perspective of how your specific program, both pre and during COVID have aligned to that. Because I think the other thing that we have been dialoguing a lot about internally is that, you know, up until COVID, we had some pretty, I would say, strong or just reliable, perhaps, leading and lagging indicators of fundraising performance, whether that would be the job market, whether that would be the um, S&P 500, you know, all of those things. Well, now, in a lot of ways, our fundraising programs are bucking those trends. You know, the job market isn't forecasted to recover. The last I heard was 2024. But yet our fundraising performance um, for most organizations, or at least many, is best it's been in years. So how do you align that? And is industry trends going to be sort of a new indicator for other sort of markets? Um, and so there, I think there's a lot that goes into that. And how much um, street cred do some of the, that trending have outside of our specific industry or your specific sector does that have now? Um, I think those questions kind of remain to be seen. There's a big old question mark there right now. Yeah, that's, you know, I think to your point of looking back of historical performance, a lot of organizations, depending on the space you're in, look at election years mm -hmm. of seeing the impact that they're going to make on their program. And I think a lot more organizations were looking at this past election as trying to come up with some contingencies. And COVID has just thrown a whole other curveball into that, understanding when certain if you're an affiliated organization, when certain affiliates might be coming up to speed faster than others, you know, what's the impact in their particular region? And how do you sort of plan for uncertainty? Is there a way to plan for uncertainty so that you have a plan B or a plan C built into your budgeting process? Or is that where the planning for milestones come in, like those moments where you reevaluate and assess if what you're doing is working? I think that's a great question. I don't know, Courtney, I I feel like you just did this. Um, so I don't know if you want to share how you accomplished this. Yeah, I mean, I think the answer is, Alicia, all of the above. <laughs> um, so when we're looking at, you know, future years budgets and planning or, or even how recent years have been impacted by outliers is recognizing some of it for what it could be as an outlier. So really, this is where that tedious part comes back into play and, you know, finding realistic goals moving forward and 
maybe that removes some of those outliers and so that you're able to map that out for the future. And then I think the other piece of it is absolutely being able to be nimble, being able to be flexible, that as those things happen, that we are constantly reassessing. I know throughout COVID, we, in March, we were all on webinars, I feel like every day talking about what could this mean for fundraising? What, what could this mean for our donors? And I think we're all pretty pleasantly surprised on where we landed, but every month of 2020, it was, are we just seeing shifts in giving? Are we going to have a soft year end because we saw surges in giving in Q2? And so it was just constantly, you know, proactively planning for what could be coming up immediately. Um, and then having to take a different approach to 2021 based on our starting place, not, you know, continuing to count on that surge, but planning realistically and let that data drive where the program is going to go. Um, I think the other piece of that is trying to isolate out everything Courtney said, and then trying to also isolate out what innovations were strategic mm -hmm. in your budget versus the COVID effect, if you will. Because one of the questions that we have talked a lot about with clients is, well, what can we assume the percentage lift from COVID to actually be? And I think that goes back to what were the innovations within the program that were strategic that you were rolling out with or that were based on strategies that you had had in the past? An example might be, you know, did you do postage testing that generated a higher response rate that you rolled out with? And what was the percentage lift associated with that by audience? Did you have a new package that you rolled out with that assumed, you know, a 10% lift? Really sort of isolating those variables and backing your way out of the COVID bump, if you will, mm -hmm. will create those plan A, plan B, plan C. So you aren't projecting perhaps like falsely inflated a 20% increase this year when truly the strategic part of that that was not COVID related might have been 12%. That has been a, an approach that we have taken. Also, a lot of questions were around, did we shift people's giving so that they were giving midway through the year when they were going to give a year-end gift? We didn't do a lot of, for our clients, reforecasting up for year-end until we saw year-end close. And in most cases, what we found for organizations was actually we had more people giving more money versus the same people giving earlier in the year. Mm -hmm. I think as we're planning for the current year and we're watching trends carefully, it's going to be making sure those trends hold before we assume that inflated response for this year's year end. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm just thinking of how complicated the next couple of years of budgeting are going to be. <laughs> Welcome to my life. There's the COVID effect. And I think you're right. And you know, what jumped to mind for me was also thinking about how that impacted some of our expenses, the distribution of expenses, certainly. Some campusing programs went dark for 10 months. Right. So that suddenly a reemergent of you know, funding a canvassing program at its full amount is going to look radically different in a budget. But I'm also thinking of TV media rates that dropped. And suddenly, you know, you're able to spend more on that program or that program looks like it's super efficient and you're carrying those same assumptions into another fiscal year, which is not accurate, right? Because the advertising market's going to change as general advertisers get back up. So yeah, just really taking a close look at not just the increases in revenue, but what that has also meant for the expenses, right? Like no travel expenses, right. big savings in budgets, but is that forever gone or is that something that you need to be reevaluating? Same with professional development, Zoom lowered costs for conferences, but not necessarily assumptions that we should just be carrying through and 
having our chief financial officers assume is the new status quo because it's so easy to lose that money once it's <laughs> once it's gone out of the budget as we all know yep yep totally agree well this has been super helpful you know, what what else have we not discussed that you think people should think about if they're trying to take a fresh approach to their budgeting I think if we can leave folks with just a couple of overarching thoughts, you know, this notion of understanding the impact of both short-term and long-term plans, we can't stress that enough. I think um, stakeholder buy-in from the beginning and an alignment of overall vision and shared goals. And then I think getting real focused and targeted with what your um, testing plan is going to look like where you want to focus your innovations will help ensure that you have the right expenses planned for. If you are a small or mid-sized organization, you might not have a a lot of quote unquote extra money to invest there, but ensuring or trying to plan for really targeted tests throughout the year that can move the needle for your program is I think really critical, especially as the market continues to get more noisy and more chaotic. I don't know, Courtney, if I, if you feel like I've missed anything there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think the other big thing we said at the beginning is that, you know, budgeting really should never be looked at as status quo. You know, if you're mailing X acquisition quantity, because that's what you've mailed year over year, start asking yourself, should I be you know, if I mailed a lower quantity, could I get the same number of donors? And then what does that investment mean for other places in the program? So I think that that's really a key piece is, you know, don't settle for status quo, even if you're meeting your budgeted numbers. The question then becomes, where do we go next? How do we get there from here? Um, and use that really as that planning tool for moving the program forward. Yeah, I think for me, what's coming out of this conversation is just really hammering home the idea that the budget process isn't just about getting the numbers on paper. It's an opportunity to reassess the testing strategies, the goals, what's been working, what hasn't. It can be a much more holistic process than just putting numbers on paper and then figuring it out afterwards. And you know, if you take the opportunity to do that, it should be a much more useful tool for your you know, multi-year vision for the program and the organization as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything coming up as well before we wrap that you want to highlight? Are there any upcoming webinars or papers that you're putting out, articles that you'd want to promote and make sure that people know about? Courtney, I don't know uh, your thoughts on upcoming blog posts, but I'm sure there will be some related to this topic. And more. Absolutely. I was going to say, if you don't already, follow us on social media to do so. We put something out every Friday. Um, usually some blog posts with tips and tricks, sometimes some fun things like binge watching recommendations in the time of COVID. Great. Well, thank you both so much. Really appreciate your time. And we'll make sure to link to some of those in the show notes for people that are interested too. Thank you so much, Alicia. This was super fun. Yeah, this was really fun. Can we talk more about budgeting? (laughs) Anytime. Anytime. Thanks again to Erica and Courtney for joining me today to talk about budgeting. Could always all use a good budget therapy session. So I very much appreciate their time on the topic and hope that it was helpful for you as well. 
As always, if you enjoyed today's episode of the Good Fundraising Podcast, please consider subscribing and telling a friend. And if you have an interest in joining me for a conversation or have a request for a topic, please drop me an email at hello at goodfundraising.net. Thanks again for joining me. And until next time, remember to be nice and do good.